really you have to realize that food is not just a number and it is not just a nutrition profile. Food nurtures both your body and your soul. You're listening to The Lowdown, a podcast recorded at Sigma Kappa National Headquarters by Alex Green and Sarah Goodwin. We'll focus on topics like health, wellness, fraternity and sorority community, higher education, and life skills that women need in all stages of their lives. We'll also feature stories from inspiring, empowering, and ambitious Sigma Kappas. Tune in every other week for a new episode to help drive your personal growth forward. Back to the Lowdown podcast. Today we are joined by Kelly Shalal, a registered dietitian, personal trainer, and creator of the food blog Hungry Hobby. Kelly has been featured on fitnessmagazine.com, shape.com, mensfitness.com, Good Morning Arizona, and more. And we're so excited to have her. So thank you for joining us, Kelly. Thanks. So happy to be here. Well, I have a question just from your website. It says that your tagline is creating balance between healthy and happy. So what does that exactly mean? That is a great question. And it really is, um, I guess, how it sounds. But it's just, I kind of started the blog to kind of really show that you could strive to be healthy without giving up your happiness. I think a lot of times we think of eating healthy as like eating, you know, rabbit food and, Mm -hmm. and not enjoying occasions with friends and not enjoying any of your meals and just, um, being miserable in your attempt to be healthy. And, um, that is not, you know, how it is at all. And so that's, that's kind of where the blog comes from and where the tagline comes from. So. And that goes into your journey as well. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about your journey to healthiness? Yeah, absolutely. So the interesting thing is I grew up eating a lot of fast food, like a ton of fast food. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my mom was a single mom and it just, it is what it was. You know, she made sure I had breakfast in the morning, but a lot of times it was, you know, a cheese Danish from McDonald's or Cinestics from Burger King, things like that. When I wasn't with my mom, I was with my grandma who did do a lot of home cooked meals, but it was very Southern based meals. So a lot of fried things, Mm -hmm. (laughs) lots of butter, Mm -hmm. sugar in your green beans. I mean, just like (laughs) all the best kinds. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, I can remember not even really the first time I like went grocery shopping and I saw green beans and it was like a moment for me that the first time I'd seen them outside of a can. And I was like, oh, and I was like in college and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Those are green beans. Like those don't, huh? So I really did not have, um, you know, I just didn't grow up eating super, super healthy. I just didn't, um, I ate a lot of oranges off of our orange trees because we lived on a like half orange grove. But other than that, it really wasn't, um, just wasn't the best. So, so when I got to college, I did okay for a while, but then I eventually put on some weight, um, you know, like many people do in college. Mm -hmm. And so in order to get it off, I figured I would just count calories because I had friends that did that. And so I was like, okay, I'll count calories. And I, uh, put my information into a website and it spit back out. And then of course I set it to like lose weight as fast as possible. And it mm-hmm. spit out a, a calorie level of 1200. So I started eating 1200 calories a day, which is really common. I see a lot of my clients do this. The, um, websites that do that, my fitness pal, other ones, um, they still do that today. So it's nothing's changed and you know, mm-hmm. however long. So, I, you know, I ate that, I lost the weight and I thought I was doing really, really good. 
Uh, but it turned out that I had to continue to eat 1200 calories to be able to maintain that weight, which is not ideal. It's really not a lot of food. That's right. like that's nothing. And so I got to the point where at when I went into grad school and at this point I had actually changed, well, I didn't change my major, but I had decided that nutrition was the path I wanted because it was so cool. And I was like losing weight and I was taking these biochem classes and I was like, Oh, this is so great. So I actually went on to grad school and I wanted to become a registered dietitian. And at some point in grad school, I actually started gaining weight at 1200 calories. So now my body had adapted to that level so much and the stress of it that it was gaining weight. Mm -hmm. And so in other words, what I did was screw up my metabolism. And that had a a long lasting impact for me as far as hormone health. Um, There were a lot of things that contributed to the hormone imbalances that I had. I had a for like five years. Um, But eventually I was able to get past that. And it took a really long time and a lot of learning. And that is, um, you know, it's not the greatest experience, but it really taught me that there are two extremes, you know, Mm -hmm. when it comes to healthy eating. And there was the extreme that I grew up and then there was the extreme of the low calorie only eating super healthy. And so at this point now I'm able to coach my clients and I've been able to rebuild my metabolism so that I can eat upwards of 2000 calories a day and not gain any weight. Right. Mm -hmm. But before I was getting weight at 1200 calories a day. So you can really mess with your metabolism when you, um, dabble in diets like that. And there's a lot of low calorie diets out there. Yeah. So I don't know if that's off topic from how far we were going into the question, but that's kind of a little bit of my journey and, um, you know, how I got to doing what I do now. So this kind of goes right into our next question. Can we talk a little bit about food, not just eating healthy, but also respecting food? I mean, there's two opposite ends of the spectrum, eating too much, eating too little and kind of having, a weird relationship with food. You you have to find a good balance. So. Yes. And so, and right when I had stopped calorie counting and I actually started losing weight again after I stopped calorie counting is when I started the blog. And I started that with the intent to show that you did not have to crazy count calories. I mean, you can count calories and macros, but you Mm -hmm. should do it right. Um, but really you have to realize that food is not just a number and it is not just a nutrition profile. Food nurtures both your body and your soul, right? Mm -hmm. And those things are interweaved throughout history, throughout culture, all cultures, right? Food is like a paramount part of all cultures, including ours, even our Western Americanized culture. And so you need to be able to participate in that because connecting with others over food, over a meal, over special occasions is just as important to your health as eating kale or whatever. (laughs) Right. So if you are isolating yourself when you're trying to eat healthy, then you're also doing a detriment to your health because those connections and that, that, that mental health aspect relieves stress in your body and also contributes to your health. So they come together. Right. So when I say respect your body and respect food, I I mean, just that respect, whether it's traditional, healthy, the purpose of it, I guess, Mm -hmm. and honor the purpose of it. You can still have treats. You can still have things that are not kale, but you also need to recognize that you need to be eating vegetables and protein and things like that most of the time because that nurtures your body. So Mm -hmm. there's a balance. What's the difference between counting calories poorly and doing it the, the good way. I guess I don't even know the difference between, to me, a calorie is a calorie, I guess. And so what what is that difference? 
I think it's all about the mindset in which you approach it. Okay. So first of all, if weight loss is a goal, if, if it's mm-hmm. a goal, you don't have to count calories or macros or whatever to lose weight. You don't. But some people choose to because it helps keep them on track. Mm-hmm. So when I first started counting calories, it was all about the calories and nothing about the nutrition, right? All I was trying to do was just keep that number down. Mm-hmm. So if you're not paying attention to your nutrition at all, and you're only looking at that number, that's, that's a no, no, right? Mm-hmm. If you um, are counting too low, 1200 calories or less for a female is too low. Typically what I recommend, and if one of my clients wants to count calories, I calculate those numbers for them so that they are not going too low. And they're looking at a deficit throughout the week, not necessarily every single day. They're eating a little bit more on workout days, a little less. They're, mm-hmm. their carbs, they're paying attention to their carbs, protein, fat, in yeah. addition to their calorie levels, right? So it, it should be a guide and not the end-all, be-all, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what is a healthy calorie number for women? I mean, it, they're a big range, I'm sure, but... There is because it depends on your, your height, your weight, your body fat percentage, really. Mm -hmm. Um, It depends on where you are in life. Are you pregnant? Are you nursing right now? I'm nursing, right? So I'm eating an absorbent amount of calories and still (laughs) losing weight, right? So I'm I'm actually am tracking my numbers right now, but I'm only tracking it. I'm not really trying to hit anything just because the tracking aspect helps me keep into perspective how many lactation cookies I'm eating or whatever, (laughs) right? But back in the day, it would have been a really crazy thing for me. And I would have been like super stressed out about it, trying Mm -hmm. to hit that number or whatever. So if that's you, then you shouldn't be calorie counting. The, um, as far as the number goes, I'm going to say not less than 1200. I can't tell you, you know, I can't say specifically for women because it varies so heavily. Your exercise is going to change that body factors, age. I mean, there's just Mm -hmm. a million things that are going to change that. So, um, really if you're curious, a custom calculation is probably what you want. And I do not encourage women to go online and get a calculation that way because that is not going to (laughs) go very well. Yeah. Most women, most women need around 1500 to even still lose weight. Not always, but most women. So for me, I hate counting calories because I hate having to log it in and having to look at the nutrition labels. So I generally just try to eat a little bit healthier, subbing out vegetables for rice or something like that. So do you have some easy tips on making recipes healthier so that you might not have to look at calories as much, but just know that you're putting good things into your body? Yeah. And I rarely coach my clients to use calories Mm -hmm. ever. In fact, the only time that I suggest it is when a client asks me, should I track macros? Can I track macros? What is that like? Maybe because they're like five or 10 pounds away from their goal weight. And then you have to get a little, little, um, closer, you know, you have to be a little bit more careful, but typically most of my clients do not count calories, even with the five to 10 pounds, you know, have like weight loss that they need and they lose weight. And really, um, the best way that you can do that is by balancing your meals. So, you know, you, I have a food blog and so half of what I do is like making recipes healthier, but I'm not always just like removing butter or removing sugar or doing those types of things. Instead, Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to do is make a meal more well-rounded. So lots of veggies, lots of protein, moderate amounts of whole grain starches or potatoes or just just a a healthy, clean, complex carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. So brown rice instead of white rice or, you know, sweet potatoes or whatever, 
things like mm-hmm. that. So um, I think the most important thing you can do is just really balance that meal. You said macros, and I know that's such a buzzword right now, and everyone is counting their macros. Can you tell our listeners what that means for those people that are not CrossFitters and <laughs> are not counting their macros? Yes, yes, and I have a post on there. I don't know if you have show notes that maybe we can. We can, uh, yes, yes. Okay, so I have a post on that that explains it that we can link to. But really, you know, macros are a buzzword right now, and the reason they're such a buzzword is because – the composition of your calories that you consume may matter just as much, if not more so than the actual number of calories that you consume. And so calories are composed of three different types of macronutrients, protein, fat, and carbohydrate. Carbohydrates provide four calories per one gram of food. Okay. Protein provides four calories per one gram of food. And fat provides nine grams of calories per, or yeah, nine calories per one gram of food. Okay. Okay. So what that means is when you're looking at what makes up your calorie level, X percentage of protein, X percentage of carbs and X percentage of fat. And usually people are tracking the grams of each to make that up. That helps you balance your meals. So here's an example. Say you are eating 1500 calories, you're losing weight, whatever. It's great but you feel like crap all day long and you look at your tracker and you realize, Oh, I'm eating sugar all day long. I'm eating mostly carbohydrates all day long and I don't have any protein or fat in there. Okay. Well, the reason that you're hungry is because your blood sugar is dipping up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, and you're craving sugar all day long. And so that's, even though you're losing weight and you should be feeling better, you don't because you don't feel good. And maybe you're not even losing weight as fast because you're only eating carbs all day, right? So then you Mm -hmm. switch that and you start eating a little bit more protein, a little bit more healthy fat, and you balance that out. Not only will you during weight loss see um, less reduction in your lean muscle mass. So in other words, you'll keep your muscle mass Mm -hmm. on because you're eating enough protein. You'll recover better. You'll have that lean look that you want um, without, I guess... And you'll feel better as far as your hunger levels and that kind of stuff throughout the day. So when we're tracking macros, there's, it's just basically making sure that you're having a balanced diet. And because you're having a balanced diet, whether during weight loss or not, you feel better throughout the day. You have better results from your workouts, et cetera, et cetera. So do, do people that are counting their macros have a certain amount of macros? Is that a thing that they want to, like a goal, kind of like counting calories, but yeah. counting, Okay. Yeah. What is so they usually are looking at their macro goals, so their grams of protein, grams of fat, grams of carbs, um, and not paying so much attention to the calories. They're just trying to get as close to those gram levels as possible. So now with my clients, I basically do the same thing without having them count, right? So I say, let's get in two fistfuls of vegetables at every meal, a palm-sized portion of protein. Okay, is there healthy fat in that meal? Did you have a 0% yogurt? Do you need to add some um, you know, almond slivers on there, or did you have a 2% yogurt and you've got some healthy fat in there, right? So we're balancing that meal and you don't necessarily have to track every single thing to do that. In fact, you should be able to do that without tracking. If you have to track to do that, then we need to do some nutrition coaching before you go into tracking, right? Because that yeah. shouldn't be the only way that you can know if you're balanced or not. You should have some intuitive idea of what each, uh, what each meal is composed of. Mm-hmm. I like the handfuls and the palm size. That would help me much more than the macros and the calories. Very rarely do my clients. Real. Yeah. Yeah. Very rarely do my clients count macros. It's just not. 
And I've tried, like, weighing food with, like, a food oh, scale gosh. and stuff, and it's just yeah. such a hassle because then <laughs> you have to balance the scale and, uh, yeah, no. I it is a hassle. It's not practical for daily life. Now, if you're a bodybuilder, you're a crossfitter, mm-hmm. I don't know, someone that has the time to do that or is that dedicated, that's fine, but you shouldn't have to do that to get where you want to be. Yeah. Moving into some more kind of cooking-related things, one of the things that some of the girls at work here talk about is how to cook for one person because most recipes are not meant for just one person but if you live alone you're just cooking for yourself and we get bored of our meals pretty quickly like I made a pasta bake last week that I'm still eating this week for lunch and great for my grocery bill but I'm starting to get a little bit sick of it so and that doesn't happen to me yeah because you have a family of six yes so we have to worry about over making some of these recipes and then maybe getting one lunch out of them so do you, we yeah. don't share meals no. <laughs> or we don't share recipes. <laughs> so do you have any tips for how to not get bored of your meal if you're cooking for one person and how to kind of transition into cooking for more than one person for six people? Yeah. So it, it's interesting the way that you guys describe that because it's something that I'm constantly thinking of because, and it's, good that we talked about the macros because I actually put together meal plans that I provide weekly. It's a meal planning service called what to eat meal plans. And I do that because for some of my clients, when I say, Hey, I want you to get hundred grams of protein a day and X palmfuls of protein a day. They're like, what is that? <laughs> so my meal plans, I make sure there's hundred grams of protein every single day in them and that they're, you know, have lots of veggies, moderate carbs. They're very, very balanced. And so it takes mm-hmm. the stress off of that. But as I'm putting those together, I have clients in both boats, right? This is a subscription yeah. service. So I have a, a bunch of clients on this subscription service and some of them are cooking for themselves and some of them are cooking yeah. for a family of six. And so it's, um, it's challenging <laughs> to put together those meal plans thinking that, but if you take a recipe, you know, and you're just cooking for yourself, I think one of my biggest tips would be really just to freeze half of it okay. and eat it two weeks later. So then you're still cutting down your grocery bill. You eat that meal two or three times, and then you eat it again two or three times later, right? Well, if you can't reduce the serving size when you're looking at the recipe, if it's not one of those recipes that you could maybe make a half batch, like if it came in a nine by 13 and you could get away with cutting it in half and making it an eight by eight, if that works great. But if, if you can't do that, then I would freeze half of it. As for the other end of the spectrum where you're trying to make enough, double those recipes so that you're eating enough lunch or so that you're not cooking every single day of your life. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of sparks a thought about meal prep. One, I do not have time on a Sunday to sit there and meal prep the entire week, but do you have any tips for trying to do that? And I love the people that do the crock pots, get it all ready in the little baggies, and I would love to spend that amount of time on Sunday doing that. I just don't. So do you have any tips for busy people trying to meal prep? I think a, it depends on what your style is. So in my meal plans, I provide like a meal prep section and I give tips. Like you could meal prep this, you could meal prep that. Like here's all these things on this meal plan Mm -hmm. and here's how to meal prep them. If you want, sometimes the rest the meal plan is split so that you can do one smaller prep on Sunday and one smaller prep on Wednesday. That works for a lot of people to do two preps. Then you're not losing your entire Sunday trying to make meals, right? Mm-hmm. I have a four-month-old baby. I don't have four hours ever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's less on a Sunday, even when my husband's home. There's no yeah. way, right? I have like 30 to 40 minutes max. 
So those two smaller preps can work really well. Some people also just do better um, component meal prepping. So that means they make a starch, like a sweet potatoes, brown rice, whatever. They make a protein, they make some veggies, and they throw it together randomly throughout the week. That works for you. You're a good cook. You're comfortable in the kitchen. Great. Do that. If not, then you might want to, you know, get some meals to prep. The other thing, (laughs) okay, yeah. So then I would say utilize your freezer for starters. You know, pick maybe one meal to prep a week and focus on those two smaller preps. And then also utilize your freezer. I've got a challenge coming out, um, which I haven't mentioned to my followers yet, so this would be new, but I have a, a challenge coming out on the 3rd where I'm going to um, challenge my my meal plan subscribers and my Hungry Hobby readers to make um, a bunch of chicken marinades and keep those in their freezer. So then for a month, you have chicken ready to go into the Instapot or slow cooker done. Like all you have to do is literally transfer it over. Yeah. So the freezer can be really helpful for someone who doesn't have the time to meal prep weekly. If you spend, you know, an hour meal prepping all those chicken marinades, then now you've got meals for four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. And so you're putting chicken in the bag with the marinade and then freezing the entire bag, right? Just making yep. sure. Again, not super savvy on the cooking area. But. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'll have um, eight recipes for that coming out on the blog on the third and um, a sale on signing up for my meal plans that'll go along with that. And then a challenge for those that do sign up for the meal plan. So how simple are your recipes? Usually like, very, very simple. Okay. <laughs> Usually very simple. I focus in on five ingredients or less or oh, one pot that's, meals. That's, that's what, what I need. <laughs> yep. um, I love the one pot, one pan meals too. Those are really, really good. Great. The only ones that I have that get like a little complicated are like the healthier paleo dessert recipes because then you're like got 50,000 like you know, almond flour, coconut flour, eggs, chocolate, like just a million things in them. But (laughs) you're not going to make that. The general, the dinners and that kind of stuff are all very, very simple because nobody's got time to be spending a billion hours cooking. So. Agreed. Yeah. That's like my least favorite thing to do all over the weekend, but. Chopping vegetables. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that kind of leads us to our next question, which uh, has to do with the staples that you keep in your fridge or pantry for easy meals, easy snacks. I mean, you have a little one and as, is it a girl or boy? I don't even know. I have a boy. Oh, okay. As he gets older, he will start wanting snacks. So what are you going to keep around or what do you keep around for easy meals and snacks? Um, well, <laughs> that's changed a little bit recently, which I guess I should talk about because a lot of babies do have a milk intolerance. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was eating a ton of cheese and dairy. And if your baby and you're breastfeeding and your baby can tolerate that, I think dairy is a really great, easy snack, you know, Greek yogurt and cheese sticks. I used to do like turkey wrapped with cheese sticks wrapped around cheese or whatever, mm-hmm. um, for some protein because that's filling uh, hummus and veggies. That's always a good snack. Um, Popcorn is a good one-handed snack. Air popped uh, popcorn, I do that. Yes. Um, fruit with, you know, like a handful of nuts because you don't even have another hand to do peanut butter. On the <laughs> you really just have like one hand at all times. Um, recently, we found out the baby has a food allergy to uh, milk and soy, probably mm-hmm. other stuff. So that's kind of limited my diet a lot. So now I do a lot of um, like guac and veggies or... Um, Instead of the cheese and uh, turkey meat, I'll do turkey around avocado slices. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds really good. Yeah, I might have to try that. 
Yeah, it's pretty good. Have you it's not as salty as the cheese, but. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of the, I'm sure it's really popular, and this is not an ad for it at all. I'm not being paid by Trader Joe's, but the, uh, the everything but the bagel seasoning. seasoning. That will flavor up anything, yes. Yeah. That's to- green on avocados. I'll get it for you next time I'm Thank there. you. <laughs> Love Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's has a lot of easy staples too. Mm-hmm. Um, they have great snacks. Yeah, they have great snacks. They in their freezer section, they've got that grilled cauliflower that's so mm-hmm. easy to put on a sheet pan and just uh, bake up, which is like one of my favorite things to eat. Have you ever done cauliflower rice? Yeah, a lot of my recipes call for that. That's and I never make you it. Okay, you never make it. No, I'm got no. time for that. Okay, no. <laughs> I don't you can even buy know. it bagged at Trader Joe's. So. Or frozen, either about one. about Aldi? Because that's, that's more of my... They might. Okay. They're owned by they might. Know. I've noticed, oh. like, Sprouts out here has the rice cauliflower. I've noticed some of the main, mainstream yeah. grocery stores have it now. So I think it's, like, mainstream enough that most places have yeah. it. I'm going to try it. Yeah. Anyways, I, I like a lot of those snack options. Those sound just, just really good. Mm-hmm. My husband recently did one of those tests where he found out what he's sensitive to. And... I mean, there's kind of little blood tests and it came out with so many things. And so now we're trying to adjust kind of what he's eating and snacking on because, you know, he's like, oh, I just feel like sluggish or tired. And it's amazing what food can do to you. And you don't even realize that maybe it is the food. I mean, he works out pretty regularly. And so we just, we just didn't know what it was. And it was all these different types of foods that he just has like, not allergies to, just is slightly intolerant and so I actually do food sensitivity testing too, and I specialize in um, food sensitivities and food allergies. And so, um, and the way I got into doing that testing was my husband was having terrible GI issues, and I was like, mm-hmm. "I'm looking healthy. I don't know what's happening." <laughs> yeah. And I was straight out of school, and I was doing all the things that I learned as a dietitian, and really the testing was what changed everything for him. The big thing I would encourage anyone who does a food sensitivity test to do is to make sure to work with a um, CLT, a certified lead therapist, um, who is always a dietitian, almost almost always, because if you just pull those foods that you come sensitive to out of your diet you are still exposing yourself to all kinds of untested foods, right? So they test 150, 200 foods, Mm -hmm. but there are thousands of ingredients out there. And so what I do with my clients is I actually limit them to the foods that show up green. Okay. And then we work to bring down the inflammation, heal their symptoms, and then we slowly start adding things back in. And so then you don't need to retest in six months or a year, which is what a lot of testing companies will have you do is say, hey, oh, you feel better, but not great. Okay, retest again. You didn't have to retest every six months to feel better. So um, really following a, a protocol, a very strict protocol can really help you only have to do that one time and really learn what works for your body, what doesn't work for your body. You know, things like cherries that show up high on that test, you should probably be able to bring those back in. Mm-hmm. Now, okay. if gluten and dairy show up high on the test, you may or may not be able to bring those back in, but you want to work on healing your GI tract at the beginning, okay. really isolating your immune system and um, nurturing it and then slowly bringing things back in so you know what the deal is and what you can tolerate and what you can't. And then you won't, you know, have to do it lifelong. It should only be that six-month stint. 
That's kind of like the whole 30 method, sort of, isn't it? You cut out so many, and then they kind of have that reintroduction phase to see if that was what is causing. Yeah, or the AIP method. Yep, mm -hmm. absolutely. It's exactly like that. Only The only difference is you're working with someone who knows all about food, and it's mm -hmm. individualized to you, right? right? So you're not just cutting out these like high-level allergens. You're individualizing it to you. Um, with that, you... Well, yeah, so that's, that's probably enough about that, but yeah, <laughs> I could go on and on and on and on right. and talk about it for hours. Cause it is something I'm very passionate about doing, um, food sensitivity testing. I do believe in it. I think it works really, really well, yeah. but, uh, protocol is important. You know, I had a client who, for instance, started eating more things after we had done the first initial phase and she ate like an RX bar and, you know, dates are an untested food on the test that I do, but eggs are fine and all the other ingredients in there were fine. And so she was like, can I really be sensitive to dates? But really what it was is it's probably that the dates are washed in sulfites, not always, but a lot of dried fruits are washed in sulfites. Dates sometimes are and sometimes aren't. And she had a high level sensitivity to dates or to sulfites, sorry. So I'm thinking the issue in the RX bar was actually the sulfite. Mm -hmm. So it's working with someone who can identify those things right <laughs> those little minute things about food yeah. that you're never going to be able to find out in your entire life that's mm -hmm. kind of the benefit to working with someone versus doing like a whole 30 method yeah yeah got it so let's go back to the freezer thing because it <laughs> you said yeah we can fill up your freezer with uh like chicken yeah the chicken and all these meal preps my freezer is full of chicken nuggets because that's what my kids want to live off of so I have picky eaters. What do you, do you have any recipes or tips for picky eaters? Yes. I'm working with a couple of clients right now. Actually, they're six month clients. And one of their overarching goals is to um, fix their meal times because a lot of them really feel like a short order cook, right? Yes. They're just, um, you know, cooking what they think the kids like and then cooking a meal for her and her husband. And then it just becomes a mess. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I have to say to you is you decide what they eat. They decide how much and when. Okay. So that is something every meal time you need to tell yourself, I decide what they eat. They decide how much and when. The other thing is take the drama out of the meals. Once you gain control of that, take the drama out. Pretend that you do not care, even though your mommy heart is like, I want them to eat. Please eat. I get it. I get it. But take the drama out of the meals and just pretend like you don't care. Wrap that meal up if they don't want it. Give it to them another time. Okay. But don't make comments about it. Don't say this is healthy. I want you to eat it. Don't say you can't eat that because that's not healthy. Don't label food back and forth. Just make it is what it is. So they don't eat it. I mean... We are pretty good about making them eat what we make, but there are some times where I'm like, fine, I will make the chicken nuggets, like just stop. Uh, so if they don't eat it, they just, I mean, they're going to be hungry. Yeah. Right. That's the whole that idea. That reminds me, it. my mom always tells this story of when she was growing up, she has three sisters and like the rule was you have to sit at the table until you like finish your dinner. And one night it was Brussels sprouts and she did not want to eat the Brussels sprouts. And so she had to sit at the table until she went to bed and then she got up the next morning and they were still there. Like she was going to have to eat them eventually. So those are the stories from back in the day. And because I was raised by my grandma, some of that happened to me too. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thing is, is when you force a child to clear their plate, you are telling them to mm -hmm. override their hunger and satiety cues versus honoring them. 
So what happens when that child grows up, that child is now conditioned to eat everything on their plate all the time. Mm -hmm. And then we wonder why people have a hard time with portion sizes and intuitive eating and all of these things, because Mm -hmm. we have literally taught them otherwise from a very, very young age. And I spend so much time teaching my clients intuitive eating and teaching them how to override that that stuff that happened to them when they were little. And I get it, like like I said, because that was very much like a my grandma's generation type thing. And so I was raised by my grandma a lot of the time. And that was just like what they did. Like they are starving kids. There was the Great Depression. You will eat what's on your plate. (laughs) And unfortunately, it definitely think it's contributed to the obesity epidemic. So when I say be nonchalant about food times, don't force them to sit there. If they tell you they're not hungry just so they can get up and leave, fine, let them. Now, if they need to come back to the meal that night, then let them come back to the meal. I don't know that I would serve Brussels sprouts in the morning. I might just call it, (laughs) you know, and like go on with the next type of meal. The other thing you can do is if they're bugging you about the chicken nuggets, one, there are other types. I have a recipe for a healthier chicken oven fried chicken tender recipe that has almond meal on it instead of, you know, refined flour or whatever. So, and those are freezer friendly. So you can prep some of those if you can find the time. The other thing is give them a free night. Say, you know, we're not going to have that tonight, but on your free night, which could be every Saturday or every Sunday or whatever, you can totally have that. I'll make that for you. You can have pizza, you can have whatever you want on the free night. So then they have something to look forward to. They have a night where they get to pick what they eat and that makes them feel really good. You can also involve them in the kitchen making decisions. So if you're cooking something for dinner and you've got green beans and broccoli and you're not sure which one you're going to make, ask them. Don't ask them, what do you want? What vegetable do you want? Ask them, do you want green beans or broccoli? Yeah, right. Which would you rather have? So now they have some autonomy, but it's a limited amount of autonomy. Yeah. So I think a taking back control of your kitchen is probably the hardest thing for moms to do. But if you can regain control of the kitchen and keep the tone in the kitchen neutral, you'll have a much easier time at mealtimes. Yeah. They're not going to starve themselves. They're not. No, no, absolutely not. They just, they say they're full. And then 10 minutes after they walk away, they're like, can we have a snack? I'm like, no. (laughs) That's when you save that meal and say, you can have the rest of that. So save it the whole night. If they make it till morning, then maybe let, let's let the Brussels sprouts go. But <laughs> <laughs> my mom's gonna love listening to this yeah. podcast. <laughs> it happened to me too. It totally happened to me too. So it's not. It was not a not unique to her for sure. That's a story I've heard a hundred thousand times. Right. So I would love to know what's kind of like your top recipes right now. Your go tos. My go-tos are the most popular. It's interesting. My most popular recipes on the blog are sometimes go-tos and sometimes not. My most popular recipe on the blog is this uh, one bowl honey oat bread that's made only from oat flour and oatmeal. So a lot of people like that. Um, That's a breakfast thing, right? Yeah. It's like breakfast snack. I mean, it's basically just like oatmeal and bread form. So however you want to eat, it. <laughs> however you want to eat it. Uh, my healthy breakfast quesadilla is something I've made for a long time. I'm not eating dairy right now, so I can't make that right now, but that's something I usually make. What's in it? Once a month. It's like a, an egg white, um, for the inside plus cheese and spinach, um, and a tortilla. And it's just like a Egg breakfast okay. quesadilla is really good. And like salsa. I love, love have to breakfast try that. burritos. I could make a quesadilla instead of burrito. That sounds really good. Yeah. And then let's see, what else are some of my go-tos? I'm doing a lot of Crock-Pot, Instapot stuff right now just because it's so easy with the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have an Instapot yet. I don't either, but everyone is trying. I'm about to buy one because I'm convinced they're amazing. 
I impulse purchased mine, um, not last summer, but the summer before and totally fell in love with it immediately. It does take a lot of prep or I guess a lot of reading to understand. Like it's one of those, it's not one of those kitchen utensils where you just like turn it on and you know how to use it. Like you have to read the manual front front to back so that you do not blow up your house. But, um, I really, really like it. I like that it has the saute function on it. So like, for instance, I could prep some brown rice or some grains in it, take that stuff out and then use the bottom of the pot to saute whatever I am, like ground meat or whatever it is. So then your one pan meal really becomes really easy with the Instapot. Mm -hmm. That's probably one of my favorite things about it for sure. That and that you can put frozen chicken in it and have it within 30 minutes. Oh, I didn't know that. That's a game changer. Yeah, right? So is that what you're putting in your Instapot right now is chicken? Yeah. <laughs> like just like those chicken marinades that I made yeah. or um, even like carnitas meat, like beef carnitas or pork carnitas or pulled pork, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it can go straight into the freezer and it's just made or straight from the freezer and it's made a lot faster than if you, um, mm-hmm. if you did it in a slow cooker or waited for it to defrost or whatever. So that's yeah, kind of. Yeah, I might have to buy one. I might, I might have to ask for that for my birthday yeah. next month. I don't know. <laughs> it's a game. You know, if you are struggling with meal prep, I would say the Instapot is probably one of your best friends as far mm-hmm. as helping you, okay. you know, along the way. Because it's just one extra tool to make things move a lot faster. Kind yeah, of both. The- yeah, no, I love the crock pot. But then I have to think what I want for dinner that night when I go to work. And that's tough for me to know what. Yeah. What's going to sound good or, and just, you know, mornings can be hectic. So then I have to think about it the night before and I'm just, I'm just not that good at it yet. So. Well, and so that might be the point where maybe you need to start with meal planning instead of worrying about the meal prep. Really do. Yes. Really working on just making a meal plan, you know, and it doesn't have to be like, I'm definitely going to eat these things, but just knowing that you're going to make these three to four meals that week will really help you, um, you know, be more prepared. And if you can say, Hey, Monday, I'm going to do this crockpot recipe, then you will put it in the crockpot before you head to work, Mm -hmm. you know? So maybe more so than meal prepping and meal plan would be a better option for just, you know, trying something every week. Well, we were looking at your website and some of your recipes. I was like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try these crockpot meals. I'm going to try this freezer meal. So I will, I will. It's my goal. Maybe not this week, maybe next week, you know, just pushing it off. <laughs> so I, like I will do that. Yeah. There is an email list for both my blog and for the meal plans. And if you sign up for the meal plan email list, you'll get a free one week meal plan oh. on them. So that might be something, you know, you can look at that meal yeah. plan. I know oh. the breakfast quesadilla is on it. I don't remember what else. I think I'm going to have to try that one next week. That sounds really good. It is. I wish I could eat it now. <laughs> <laughs> Can you get non-dairy cheese? I could, yeah. I just haven't really um, acclimated to it yet. You know, we mm-hmm. just kind of figured it out that yeah. he had has this uh, cow's milk soy intolerance. And so I'm just working on acclimating it. So yeah. acclimating myself mm-hmm. and my diet and my fridge to it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know that you mentioned that you have that integrative nutrition counseling. Did you want to talk any more about that for any of our listeners who are looking for meal plans or anything? 
Like yeah, absolutely. So I have a couple different facets to what I do. The blog, everything in the blog is free. So, you know, the recipes, yeah. the nutrition advice, everything on there is free. Um, so, you know, you can sign up for emails for that. That's always going to be free, obviously, because it's on the internet. <laughs> but um, I also do the meal plans, which is just me using my recipes and other recipes that I like to make meal plans to make it, you know, easier on you. Those are very low priced. They're just intended to help be a template. So like, if you don't make everything on a meal plan, you're not like, I'm losing my money. It's not like, it's super, super low price. So I have those. And then, you know, for those people that really feel like they would benefit from some one-on-one -on -one counseling, you know, a lot of people don't really know what to expect when they see a dietitian and, or what to expect when they see a nutritionist, they think like they're just going to get a meal plan or they're just going to tell me to eat kale or they're just going to tell me I need to eat healthier. And actually what I mean, do what I mean by integrative nutrition counseling or functional nutrition counseling is I'm looking at the whole health. So I'm looking at your exercise, your nutrition, your hormone health. I'm looking at symptoms of potential hormone imbalances. I'm looking at blood work if you have it. Um, I'm looking at how you're feeling throughout the day, your sleep levels, where you are in your life. And we're going to tackle making improvements on all of that because all of those things are related to nutrition and all of those things are related to your health, whether you want to lose weight or not, you might just be fine with your weight, but not feel great throughout the day. And there are tweaks to your nutrition. So when I say whole health, I mean, I'm looking at every aspect, your GI health, your hormone health, all of those things that I listed um, to make sure that everything is functioning together in a holistic, you know, perspective so that you can obtain the goals that you want to reach. So that's what I do in nutrition counseling. I've got a lot of different packages on my website for those that would benefit from more one-on-one -on -one approach. And for those that are interested in um, food sensitivity testing, I have a consult that we do first because I want to ensure that you are a good candidate for it because not everybody is a good candidate for food sensitivity testing. A lot of people want to do it for the wrong reasons. Like if your only reason to do it is weight loss, I'm probably not going to do it with you because that's not where we need to start but yeah. there are reasons why people need food sensitive testing gi disturbances autoimmune conditions generalized inflammation mm -hmm. chronic pain etc so i do a consult first for that and we'll put links to all of these yeah. things on our show notes yes so you don't have to you know write while you're driving is actually offering all of you, our listeners, 25% off her meal plans. Just use Lowdown25, all one word, at checkout. We'll have links to the meal plans, Kelly's website, and her social handles on our show notes page. But thank you again for being on. This was very informative, and obviously I need to step up my cooking game for my family, which, which I will do. But thank you again for being on, Kelly. <laughs> thank you for having me. It was fun.